Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. And let's dig on in. So starting off with uh, Peloton, in the past roughly 13 months, Peloton stock has lost roughly 90% of its value. Should Peloton be preparing for a class action lawsuit for incorrectly labeling themselves a platform? Peloton stock way, way down. Peloton shares are soaring on potential takeover talks. That's relative because they were way down. Now they're kind of up, but still relatively down. You've got an activist investor here that came out in the news suggesting that the Peloton CEO get fired and to bring in a new leader. The activist investor Blackwell's capital got their way. Peloton CEO stepped down. Uh, Almost 3,000 people fired. Uh, The company is retrenching, not making bikes anymore really lost their way. I mean, here's the thing, right? This doesn't come out of the blue. Like if you're the CEO, if you're John Foley, you see this. I mean, you see this in the data. This really was just poor, poor management, uh, not wanting to make the tough decisions and get out in front of this, right? Why they're needing to take such kind of, um, what seems as drastic action after the fact just goes to show you it's it's just poor leadership. Derivative impact of Peloton tanking, a firm, firm stock was down about 20% because at, at its peak, Peloton accounted for roughly 30% of a firm's revenue. So six months ago, August of 2021, Peloton stock at, wow, you know, about $113 who now has closed at about $36, hit a low of $24, right? Uh, this is just in six months, folks. So, you know, had basically almost say a $40 billion market cap, now at about $12 billion market cap. Why has this happened? Basically, they've run out of people to sell bikes to. They've run out of new revenue streams that they can sell to their existing customers or, you know, the kind of Upselling existing customers has certainly not replaced the lack of revenue from selling bikes to new customers. Company is basically on the verge of imploding. Peloton definitely benefited from a massive COVID boost of people not being able to go to gyms, looking for you know ways to stay healthy while uh, sheltering in place and just staying in their homes. And Peloton, a huge beneficiary of that uh, COVID bump. Starting in September of 2019 at about 25 bucks a share, you can see them just go through the roof. April 2020, they start to go up. Then they hit a peak in December of 2020 of $162 a share. And then it's kind of been a downhill slope from there. When you read through the Peloton S1, they mention the word platform 40 times. Peloton is the largest interactive fitness platform. First of its kind subscription platform. Uh, we have a v- built a vertically integrated platform, not a platform business. They love the word. Look at this growing and, and scaled platform with network effects. Should Peloton have a class action lawsuit filed against it? Maybe. There's a clause in the S1 that says growing and scaled platform with network effects. I mean, this is actually deceptive, right? What network effects are they claiming to have? Obviously, just selling a bike is not a platform business. Just like Apple selling an iPhone, not a platform business. Where does 
the iPhone and Apple's network effect come from. It's from their community of developers. Peloton could potentially build a community of trainers, but all their trainers on the kind of training portal are hired Peloton trainers. They're on balance sheet. They're paid by Peloton. These aren't some network of like third-party trainers that are building an audience within the Peloton kind of customer base. They talk about network effect referring to their members. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, what are they trying to be a social network connecting members? Oh, yeah, these members, they like to compete against each other. So we've got like a social network stickiness. That's insane. And they're smarter than that. They know that's insane. Should someone acquire Peloton? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's probably, I don't know. I, I think it's probably still overvalued. I mean, they're up 50% from where they IPO'd at uh, in the fall of 2019. It's a 12 billion market cap company doing what, a couple billion dollars in revenue. You got a 6X revenue multiple. This is a linear business. I mean, they sell bikes. So their activist investor, Blackwell's thinks, wow, look at all these potential acquirers. SoftBank. <laughs> I mean, you just have to, it's obligatory. Just throw SoftBank on any acquiring slide. Why would a technology company buy Peloton? Lululemon? But even that's a stretch. I mean, this thing, I think it's too expensive. And, and, if, and if it's a 12 billion market cap company today, that 12 billion does factor in some of the jump on the news that there could be a strategic acquirer, but still they're going to need a little bit of a premium over that. At over 6X revenue, I mean, why this company, it's insane. It's so expensive. Why would any of these media companies want to buy this? Berkshire half Adidas. Like I think best case scenario is one of these apparel companies wanting to get into the connected fitness, connected you know, home arena, but that's an expensive play. They're losing hundreds of millions of dollars. They lost $400 million in the last, over $400 million in the last quarter, $375 million in the quarter before that, $313 million in the quarter before that. I mean, in Q1 of 2021, Q1 of 2021, where they have all-time record numbers, $1.26 billion in revenue, up 140% over the prior Q1 of 2020, they basically break even. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, they need to retrench. They needed to retrench a year ago. I mean, how do you not make any money? 140% year-over-year revenue increase, all-time highs, $1.26 in revenue, and you don't make any money. It's insane. You run a business to make money. I know a lot of people conveniently just kind of ignore that fact these days. The COVID bump, the COVID veil has popped, just like on Zoom. Zoom had a huge COVID bump. Zoom has also fallen. You know, Zoom also proclaims to be a platform. It's not a platform. So you're basically seeing the demise of these COVID darling babies that claim they're a platform because it's easy to claim you're a platform when your revenues are going through the roof and you just kind of feed the hype cycle. But it's disingenuous. And it's actually misleading investors. And you're not a platform business. You know you're not a platform business. Spotify doesn't make any money on music. Their whole basically upside is in podcasting, which is a platform business. Spotify is at a critical crossroads. Do they succumb to thought censorship and 1984 thought police tactics? Or do they actually act more like a platform than Facebook and Google? So Spotify been in the news lately with the controversy over Joe Rogan. You know, I, I should put controversy in air quotes. 
the the controversy is really that Spotify has not canceled Joe Rogan like every other media company out there, like every other platform company out there. And this is actually the really pinnacle moment for Spotify and Daniel Ek. I actually met Daniel Ek many, many, many years ago. I bet you Daniel's looking at what's going on in the U.S. over all the uproar over this Joe Rogan thing and somewhat laughing to himself about how silly us Americans are. Net, net, this is amazing for Spotify. Spotify couldn't get any, any more free earned media out of this whole situation. It's not even possible, right? This Joe Rogan deal has been wonders for Spotify. Genius decision, bunch of charts on Joe Rogan having a much larger audience than basically all of like the cable news networks combined. Um, the guy's on fire. And, you know, this is a pinnacle moment because uh, Spotify historically is not a platform business. They're a linear business. When you look at their music streaming business, as we've talked about many times before on the show, and this article here from the information really details why they're predominantly a linear business. And it says, yeah, look, like in certain quarters, Spotify has really nice free cash flow. But basically, all they're doing when they generate that free cash flow is holding the cash from their membership subscription revenue and basically paying it all out to the record label agencies, right? So they make kind of like uh, intermittent or maybe more like annual payments to the record labels. And, and in the in-between quarters, it looks like they have a bunch of free cash flow. But that money is basically all owed to the record labels. And they're just kind of saving up the money in reserve to make those record label payments, which is a symptom of them being a linear business. And the reason why they're a linear business in music is because music is so consolidated, right? Basically, we've talked about the RIAA, the Record Industry Association of America, is the central negotiating arm of all the four big record labels that controls, I don't know, 90 plus percent of all the music. And so they're able to negotiate extremely aggressively with Spotify to make very generous royalty payments to the record label, record labels. If this was a fragmented market with a bunch of fragmented supply, that dynamic would not exist. Spotify would able, be able to make actual margin, but they haven't been able to do that because of an extremely consolidated supply. And in the past few years, they have promoted finding alternative sources of fragmented supply, such as podcasting. We have been very bullish on this endeavor. That's a true platform opportunity, fragmented supply from the podcasting universe. And then in the past couple of years, We've documented, really loved their move to bring Joe Rogan and what we call a, a single, single user marquee strategy. You bring some really big name producers that draws a lot of audience uh, to the platform. It's worked out very successfully. Others have been more skeptical of this. You got Ben Thompson writing on this topic. I know for a fact that I've undervalued this multi-pronged strategy in terms of Spotify's approach to podcasting. Podcasts don't simply mean the opportunity to build an advertising network, but also drive new subscribers for Spotify. This is because Ben Thompson doesn't care about supply-driven network effects. He's all focused on his aggregator theory, which is focused all about demand, demand, demand. The key thing of platform business models is that it's demand and supply. You have fragmented consumer customer base and fragmented producer base. Ben Thompson would also not like the FTC Lena Khan's new favorite word called monopsony. Watch our video uh, on the new word monopsony and how we've been calling it correctly for years that platforms take advantage of a key customer called suppliers. Spotify's critical decision, Daniel Ek, 
CEO, Swedish CEO, founder and CEO of Spotify, basically saying he needs to make the decision. Will he be like Facebook and other content tech platforms that want to censor their users, both consumers and producers? Will he basically take that fatal pill, which has now caused the exodus, caused Facebook's 20% drop in stock price overnight, a platform that doesn't help facilitate connections and bring suppliers and consumers together, but instead decides what is appropriate to be talked about, what is not appropriate to be talked about. And I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think he's going to fall to the dark side. I think Daniel Ek will choose um, the right path, the correct path, which is to promote free speech rather than limit it. And here's one example why Daniel did uh, in this Masters of Scale podcast. And there's a couple things here in the transcript that I thought was pretty interesting. He's talking about, you know, in Sweden, there's something called the Alamsraten. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's literally translation is every man's right. And this comes at the core of Swedish. For instance, if you own a piece of property in Sweden, people are allowed to walk your property. The property is large enough. They're actually even allowed to tent at your property for 24 hours. You say, okay, how does that relate to censoring Joe Rogan? At the end of this interview, he goes, at the end of the day, it's about trust. And if you say that what you're going to do and then keep on doing that, you will do pretty well. If you think about what we're, what we're now trying to do as a public company, it's exactly that. Consistency over time is about trust, says Reid Hoffman. He goes, indeed, Eck does. How can your users trust you if you, as the platform, now determine what is appropriate to be talked about? The answer is they can't. Because that line, once you, once you cross that chasm, once you open Pandora's box on content censorship, can't put the genie back in the bottle. There is now no rule. And that line will always shift more in the direction of censorship than back in the direction of not censorship. And so for maybe these couple quotes, I think shed on some of his background, some of my conversations many, many years ago with him, I don't think he's going to allow him and his company to fall victim to this madness, predominantly in the United States, around censorship, thought policing, 1984 type tactics, which you can now see is clearly see the proof is in the pudding for Facebook not doing so hot. Why? Why is Facebook not doing so hot? And because they're banning their users from doing the, the actual thing that Facebook needs, which is to engage and create content and interact on the platform. And Facebook is actively. <laughs> cramping down on that. It's insane. It's actually insane. So I wish Spotify the best. It's very difficult waters for them to navigate. I think they're doing a great job on it so far. And I don't think they'll fall victim to this. Facebook stock down, losing over $200 billion in value. Facebook blames everyone but themselves. The truth is they don't need to look anywhere else but right in the mirror to figure out who is really at fault or this sudden collapse. Facebook's blaming India and China's TikTok and Apple over privacy. None of these are new things. These things, have, TikTok didn't just come out of nowhere in the past quarter and steal all of Facebook's users. All of these things have been around for a long time. Apple's privacy thing didn't just go into effect. That's been going already. We've covered it on the show many times. Here's this Verge article, Facebook lost daily users for the first time ever last quarter. The truth is they've been losing daily users for a long time. This is the first time they weren't able to cover it up. 
I mean, it's a rounding error, right? They went to 1.929 billion daily users from 1.93, okay? It's very small in the grand scheme of things, but you have to understand that they're doing everything they can to prop this number up and inflate the number. And what this means for a tech business that's valued on growth, because all these tech monopolies are valued on growth, this is the death knell. This is why you see over a 20% drop in their stock price in one day is because the growth engine has stalled. Why has the growth engine stalled? Because of their actions and their actions alone. And it's been a long time coming. Normally, if you're a platform business and you take the kind of actions actively against both your consumers and your producers and you act this violently and aggressively against your users, you'd be out of business. But because Facebook is a monopoly is the only reason that they've been able to take this kind of aggressive action against their user base for years. The real problem for Facebook is that it has become all the things that it was invented to not be. They have now become the thought police of the 21st century. They now censor what you are allowed to talk about with your friends and your community. Is that the point of a social network? Is that the point of a content platform? Isn't the whole idea, isn't Facebook's whole mission, their raison d'etre, to help bring people together and help them connect online? Well, how can you do that when Facebook starts to have to approve what you're allowed to talk about? And if you don't talk about the right things, then Facebook might just ban you altogether. Oh, and by the way, if you want to advertise a certain topic on their platform, well, then they might not take your money. Maybe that hurts their top line and bottom line as well. We just had Prime Minister from East Turkestan on the show talking about how Facebook won't let him run ads, but they'll let China, the CCP, run ads to try and influence public opinion. I can't actually connect with my friends and I can't trust the platform where I'm supposed to connect with my friends, where I'm supposed to have private conversations, right? Where I'm supposed to have this thing called privacy. Well, how can I trust the platform when I know they're monitoring everything that I say or do or, or even watch or like and then trying to make money off of that? And then they have an opinion about what's allowed and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Why would I want to use that? The answer is I wouldn't. And that is the true story. And that's what no one really wants to cover is the diaspora off of Facebook and off of many big tech, thank you very much. That is why you've seen the alternative content platform and social media startups. They have tens of millions of users, tens of millions of users. And then you ask yourself, well, why are Facebook's numbers going down? Why is their user growth going down? Why is their user growth plateauing? Why are their ad dollars going down? Oh, they blame Apple. Oh, they blame TikTok. Is it instead that People don't want to use Facebook anymore. And if you look at all the signs, whether it's people going to TikTok, whether it's people going to other sites like Rumble, Gab, Telegram, uh, WhatsApp competitor, Signal, WhatsApp competitor, there are a bunch of free speech competitors. TikTok not included, by the way. That's really what's going on here. People don't trust Facebook anymore. They don't trust Zuckerberg. They don't want to use a platform which likes to tell them what they're allowed to talk about, what they're not allowed to talk about. That means that ad dollars go away because not only is Facebook not accepting all the ads, but if you're 
If you're losing your core users, like in the United States, there's been a diaspora in the United States, tens of millions of users leaving Facebook, myself included, and going elsewhere. Those are very valuable ad dollars. So yeah, Facebook has over 2 billion users, but the core, the most valuable users that advertisers really want to get in front of, they don't want to use Facebook anymore. They're leaving and they've left. The hens have come home to roost. We had Jeremy Kaufman, the CEO of one of these alternative content platforms called Odyssey. Great, comp- great site. We're on Winner Take All's on Odyssey. He was perplexed. Why would Facebook be so aggressive? Because they're sending us millions of users. Like, why would they do this? Strategically, it doesn't make any sense. We've been talking about it on the show for over a year now that strategically, this is a huge blind spot for Facebook and Google and other content social media tech monopolies. Clearly, Zuckerberg is completely disjointed from the company. The guy is literally up in the clouds. Rather, he's up in the metaverse. And he's not addressing the real challenges of his company, which are day-to-day operating a content social network platform that hates its actual users. He can't get to metaverse when you hate your users. Metaverse ain't going to save this company, and it's not going to fix the problems. By the time metaverse is actually a thing, they won't have any users to bring to the metaverse. They got much bigger problems to fix. And here's the thing, they're not going to fix it. They're going to keep casting blame on TikTok and Apple and India and this and that and never actually take ownership that they are the reason this is happening. 